This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Ayo, welcome into the CHGO White Sox post game show presented by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk free bets up to $2,000. Welcome into Studio A of our CHGO offices here in the West Loop of Chicago. I'm the host of the CHGO White Sox podcast, Sean Anderson. Follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. And alongside me is the full CHGO crew back from Minnesota. Vinny Duber. You can tan. Follow. I've got that Minnesota tan. Yes, you do. <laughs> Vinny Duber. Tan as ever from Minnesota. You can follow him on Twitter at Vinny Duber. He's a CHGO White Sox beat writer. And the man in the middle is Herb Lawrence. Hello. Uh, you look normal. Yeah. Okay. I uh, go to Minnesota. You can follow him on Twitter. I just went to Uptown. At Ecknerwall. That's where you're, you're usually at. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Ecknerwall23. He's a CHGO White Sox community leader. We are here after a White Sox win. The White Sox win 2-1 to one versus the San Diego Padres and taking two of three from San Diego. They won the first game 3-1, to one, lost the second game 5-2, to two, and won this one 2-1. to one. Lance Lynn went seven innings pitched, allowing one earned run, striking out five, walking one, giving up five hits. Um, he did give up a home run in the seventh. Blake Snell was the opposing pitcher today. Six innings pitched, three earned runs, one or three hits, one earned run, one walk, six Ks, and an Elvis Andrews moonshot. Um, let's just start there because we won't be talking too much about the game, uh, but I do want to just talk a little bit about the, the weekend in uh, San Diego. And Herb, I want you to put on your San Diego hat here. Yeah. How did it feel losing two to three to the White Sox? You just can't win this season. No, it's great. I mean, for the Padres, the best thing for them to do now that they're in the playoffs is to keep on losing because you don't want to go against the juggernaut, which is the Atlanta Braves, or the New York Mets, which is the four or five. Whoever loses the division out of that will be the highest wild card. The five seed will have to go to one of those cities and play them. You want the Philadelphia Phillies win all the damn games they can so they can pass you up. You go to the sixth seed and play at St. Louis. Not great but also better than playing versus the Mets or the Braves. Well, and we saw the weird moment today in the seventh inning when Josh Bell was up. Uh, San Diego fans started cheering um, when nothing happened. They were down uh, in the game, but that's because the Brewers lost and ended up securing a spot. So Fish tacos for all. You fish tacos for all, and San Diego, Slam Diego's back in the playoffs. So congrats to one of your teams. Yeah, and I'm glad the White Sox, this is what I wanted to see. They actually competing, play, putting on a show for the people who showed up. There's a lot of White Sox fans out there who wanted to go and see this series and looking for the team to play for the SOX in their chest and the name in the back just in case, you know, some other team is looking for them, just in case of, of a guy or girl is at a game and saying, you know what, I paid good money for this game. You better put, put good representative effort out there. And they did. The White Sox winning two out of three from a team that really needed these victories tells me a lot about their heart, tells me a lot about their, their want to, all that stuff. Lance Lynn looked like a pitcher who was going for, you know, a tune-up for the playoffs. He was out there dealing out there versus uh, Juan Soto, 
Manny Machado, all the best hitters out there in San Diego. And he did not look like a guy that was giving up. And you wouldn't expect that from Lance Lynn at all. And I appreciate the White Sox giving awesome effort today. Well, and I think someone who continued to give awesome effort uh, throughout this series and today, Elvis Andrews put the Sox up one nothing with the solo shot that hit the building. I mean, that's Bartolo Colon territory <laughs> over there. Um, and then you look on Friday, though, he had a, a home. Or, and that wasn't on Friday. On, on Friday, he had a, a double um, off of you, Darvish. On uh, Saturday, he had a home run off of Clevenger. And then he hits his 16th today. I think he has the most shortstops uh, or most home runs for a shortstop since coming over to the White Sox and all of Major League Baseball. So uh, what has Elvis Andrews meant to this team? Because, I mean, like Herb said, we saw some fight this weekend. And Elvis Andrews leading off this team, uh, leading off uh, ever since he came over, um, has been a huge jump. Hey, he's meant a ton. And I think, that, you know, you're getting to the point where there's a lot of guys in the clubhouse who fit the description of what I'm about to talk about. But, uh, you know, he's a guy who's been around and he's a guy who's been through all kinds of seasons, uh, you know. And like I said, Sean, I think it was last week when you read, uh, you know, the age, the ages of the teams around baseball and the White Sox were a lot older than you might think they are just because they've brought in so many veteran guys over the last couple of years. But, um, you know, to be a part of these kinds of seasons before and know how you're supposed to act at the end of them, you know what I mean? I think everybody says every year about these White Sox over the past few years, oh, it's the first time they're experiencing X. It's the first time they're experiencing Y. It's the first time they're experiencing Z. And for those core players, you could even t say that about this season. Yeah, they've had losing years before if you go back to the to the darkest days of the rebuild, but this is the first time, quote-unquote, they've been through a disappointing campaign like this and had to finish out a season like this. Guys like Elvis Andrews are showing showing everybody how you're supposed to do it. Keep playing. Keep uh, keep fighting. He's a guy that when you walk up to him in the clubhouse and you're like, oh, what are you guys playing for, you know, this last bit? He'll go, Psh, you know, you got to play for everything. Of course you're playing right now uh, for, for important stuff. Lance Lynn is another one. Um, and, you know, there are there are several of the guys in the clubhouse who, who have said that kind of thing. But he has been – he has no doubt been a leader if through nothing else by but by example since he's come over to this team. And I think whether it's the – production on the field or just the way you're supposed to carry yourself the way you're supposed to approach every situation that the White Sox have been in since he's been signed and it's been a bunch of different ones uh he's really just kind of showing everybody how how they're supposed to go about their business it's what it's what Jose Abreu has been complimented for uh doing for years and years and years as a leader on this White Sox team I think Elvis has brought the similar similar thing and it's funny we mentioned the age and you know even the talk so in uh Kenny LaRusa or Kenny LaRusa but uh, Kenny Williams uh talked to the team uh in the, in the clubhouse back in what was that July or June um, the, the whole talk was that there was clicks and no leaders in the White Sox clubhouse but you bring up the the average age and where, where the White Sox sit um, and you talk about all the veteran leaders they have to Joe Kelly to Johnny Cueto to Lance Lynn to Elvis Andrews it just seems shocking that that will and Elvis Andrews not at that point but still now at this point uh, him being on the team like it was a shocking report because it's like well they have Jose Abreu they have Tim Anderson and they have all these you yeah, know, veteran I, leaders it was just an odd report I mean it, it probably was you know heard through the grapevine in a way that it maybe came out a little garbled, you know, maybe it's not that there is no telephone. leadership, but there's, you know, the leadership is not doing this very specific thing that they need to be doing right now. And obviously we, we saw that from the way that the results uh, played out the, over the course of the summer, but you're right. Elvis Andrews has, has fit into that group of, of guys who anybody on the team can look to and say, that's the way you're supposed to be doing things. 
You stumping for Elvis Andres to be back? Not really. I mean, it's just another um, guy who had a great year. And I feel the same way about Johnny Cueto, where they had great years for the White Sox, but I think moving forward from them is what the White Sox should do. I mean, great, awesome job. And Elvis Andres, if he comes back, will have to play a totally different position that he's ever played in his major league career before at second base. So, no, I would have Elvis Andres a fair, farewell. Hopefully he signs a nice contract with some other team. Same thing with Johnny Cueto, but not with the White Sox. But if they do come back, I'll be like, fine. It's all right. I'm not stumping for him, though. I'm not going on the table for those two guys. Yeah, and you kind of talked about it recently in, in your uh, piece where you looked at the White Sox for 2023 and how things might change. Um, it still seems like second base is one of those spots that are opening, and it seems like Elvis Andres has said that he's willing to move, um, maybe not next year, but we'll see what, how that plays off uh, during the offseason. And, um, I mean, Elvis Andres, the quote that we heard was that it's the most talented team that he's ever been on, so maybe he doesn't want to leave that. Um, let's go and now talk a little bit about the Sox. 79-80, and 80, uh, they got two more or three more games against the Minnesota Twins on uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, the Twins sitting at 77-82, and 82, so really the only thing Sox are playing for being eliminated for the playoffs is staying above 500 uh one game below 500 do you think they get there is it is it that much important do you, do you, do you care if they get to 500 or not not really for me it doesn't matter i mean you could say you know if you're trying to say okay this is a very disappointing season the fact that we finish under 500 too you can add on another layer to that but otherwise this is going to be a disappointing season even if they get over 500. And Minnesota's not playing for anything. They're just playing for second place if if they do pass the White Sox. I don't know why you would do that. You don't get any special, like, prize for getting second place. You can hang the banner up if you want to. But other than that, no, I don't care if the White Sox actually win these games. I just want the effort. That's all I need. Well, the only thing that you would be playing for is uh, MLB draft uh, uh, lottery standings. Right now, the Sox are 15th uh, in the lottery. Minnesota's 14th. Uh, so the Sox would need to go, I think, 0-3 against the Twins to jump them. And we almost saw them do that uh, last time they played Minnesota. So uh, we'll see what happens in this upcoming series. But the big news coming from USA Today's Bob Nightingale. Um, the story is Tony LaRussa. Uh, oh, let me I want to get the real headline. Uh, Tony LaRussa expected to announce retirement Monday as White Sox manager. Um, Bob starts off by saying it was one of baseball's greatest feel-good stories with Hall of Fame manager coming out of retirement to lead his old team to a World Series title, only it didn't turn out the way it was supposed to. Um, as we said, you know, the White Sox right now, really the last thing you're looking for is can they finish above 500? So clearly didn't turn out the way they wanted to. Uh, how shocked were you, Herb, when you saw this pop up on your timeline this morning from Bob Nightingale? Not too shocked because I knew that, you know, the reports had been out that he is not returning for next year from multiple sources. But when you get it from Bob Nightingale, you know it's pretty much from the source. So, you know, it's going to be happening. So it's good for Tony that he is retiring. Good for the White Sox that they're moving on from him. I hope he has a healthy, happy life moving forward from there. And he has a, a – they bid him adieu tomorrow like he's supposed to. He's still a Hall of Famer when they – Go to his plaque. They got to put those years of 21 and 22 in there on his plaque. And he won an AL Central Championship for the White Sox. So, overall, a disappointment, a failure overall. But Tony La Russa wasn't coming back here to ruin the White Sox, like most White Sox fans think. He tried to do his damnedest, and it didn't work out for the White Sox. I don't wish the man any ill will. I just love that the fact that they're moving on from him and hopefully they get a person that is much better suited for this club in particular moving forward so they can win next year. Were you surprised by the news? I wouldn't say I've been surprised. Um, I, I, I think that when I look at it from solely the lens of Tony La Russa, the, 
the person that I have grown to know over the last couple of years by covering him every day, uh, when he cannot be managing in the dugout, it must be serious. That's what it says to me. I, I, I don't buy the whole, um, you know, conspiracy theories of like, they're taking this opportunity with his right. health to, to force him out. I think that Tony La Russa is so, I've used the, the phrase before, addicted to managing a baseball team that if there was any wiggle room given by his doctors, he would have been back in the dugout as soon as he possibly could. I truly believe that he was just waiting for the green light and he would have been there the next day uh, to, to keep managing this team down the stretch this year. He never got it. And according to Bob's report, the doctors are who are – keeping him from coming back next year. If he, he's announcing his retirement because his doctor said it would not be a good medically advisable for you to keep managing like this. And, and I've talked about it before on this show. I mean, the, the um, stress and the, uh, the odd hours and the travel and what that can do to someone whose body is not, uh, you know, cooperating with them uh, 100%. Uh, it's not the kind of job that you want or the kind of stress level that you want if you're dealing with something like that. So um, I feel bad for Tony because I think this is his love and he his health is preventing him from, from doing the thing he loves right now. Um, if you take a wider step back and look at it from the White Sox standpoint, I think well before uh, he had to uh, go take care of this on August 30th, there was a, a, a pretty wide, certainly a wide consensus in the fan base, but even with plenty of observers that um, this was a possibility, if not a probability. And, uh, you know, for, for Tony LaRusso's time managing the White Sox to be over here speaks to how disappointing the tenure was. Um, I don't think anybody should lose sight of the fact that they won the division last year, and that was the first time they'd done so in a long, long time, over a dozen years. Um, that doesn't happen very often on the south side, and, and, and he was – at the helm when it happened, uh, however much credit you want to give. Um, but the White Sox, no bones about it, should have been a team that contended for a World Series championship this year. They were far, far from it. And if you take out everything, everything with the health, everything with Tony's, uh, the circumstances of his hiring, and everything with how the fans thought about Tony La Russa, when a team disappoints in this grandiose of a fashion – this happens in baseball. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. And I don't. And again, when I say this, I just mean the managerial tenure coming to an end. I don't think it's coming to an end for uh, that reason primarily. I believe the primary primary reason is the is the uh, the health situation. But like I said, we were talking about this day coming well before that health situation came came about there at the end of August. And uh, here here we are. Whether we thought this was going to be where the the way we got here or not, I don't think you can be surprised by this being the end the end destination of this season. Tony was the big fish catch at that point, and he was the big fish catch because they thought he would bring a winning mentality. And you look back at the tenure, and there was no playoff series wins. And I think that is the, that was the goal was to win playoff series, win playoff games, and hopefully win a World Series with Tony Larusa. And and they just failed at, at reaching that. That um, was his area of expertise, right? right. Is like I mean, <laughs> seriously, like yeah. if if you if you were to say like. All the things that people said when the hire happened, right? Like, ooh, I don't know if this is going to work like this, if this is going to work like this. And let's remember, too, that Tony, to his credit, said that all those criticisms and all those questions were valid and that he was looking to prove everybody wrong. He didn't do that on a lot of fronts. He did do so on others. But um, the one thing that everybody could agree on when he was hired was 
Well, that guy knows how to win a World Series. That guy knows how to, you know, win a playoff team. He knows what to do in October with winning teams. And you mentioned it, the, the way that they fizzled out against Houston last year and then obviously no opportunity to even reach the playoffs this year. Uh, the, one, the one thing that you brought him in to do, win the World Series, fell far, far from that goal. Yeah, and I do want to color people just with a little bit more details about what Tony might be going through. This is, again, from Bob Nightingale's report in USA Today. Um, Tony planned on returning to fulfill his contract in 2023, but he was in his office on August 29th. That was before the Royals game. About an hour before the game, he received a telephone call from the doctors, was instructed to leave the ballpark immediately, go go home, and then come in the next day for testing. He was on a flight the next day back to Arizona and then underwent a procedure to repair his heart uh, pacemaker. Then, as we know, on September 10th, the Sox are playing the A's. Dave Stewart had his retirement party. Tony was there um, for the celebration. And then it was the last time he was on the team. Um, he well, Then he returned with the Sox for two games. Last time he was with the team. Um, and then he returned to Arizona, underwent more testing, and then there was further procedures. The doctor sat him down and provided their medical expert opinion, saying he should not manage ever again. So um, it's just Tony getting the, uh, the, the, the very strong words from his doctor saying no. Um, and pulling him away. And, and the way that you describe him, too, it feels like he would need medical, uh, you know, clearance to pull him away from yeah. that from that dugout. Um, that, like you said, Herb, I mean, he gave everything at least to the White Sox and, uh, you know, his, his just heart gave out on him. Um, this is interesting, I think, from James Fegan, who's out in San Diego. Um, Miguel Cairo said he saw the news on Tony La Russa via the Bob Nightingale story like everyone else. Cairo gave an interesting answer on whether this same player group will be back next season. He put a big emphasis on better accountability. Quote, I think they got the message what there is to expect. Whoever is going to manage or whoever is going to be hired or whoever is going to be there, I know they're going to be expecting something a little different. It's going to be more people accountable for doing their job. I think it's going to change. It's going to be a little bit different. Uh, it happened because you go to the playoffs two years in a row and all of a sudden you feel like you didn't make it this year. You can see what went wrong. It's going to be some people accountable for the job that they're going to do. I hope there is. So we talked about accountability a lot this year and it kind of faded away a little bit. Um, but now Miguel Cairo bringing back up that word accountability. So that is, I might be something the White Sox be looking for, um, for these players to take a little bit more accountability if there's a new managerial change. Yeah, and I don't know how I've never been in the White Sox clubhouse with Tony La Russa as the guy on the helm. But to me, Tony seemed like a player's manager where not a lot of things, you know, like not a lot of hammer was going down when people made mistakes, when people, you know, did uh, certain things. And I'm not necessarily a punitive guy, but I don't know if we ever seen a thing where he called somebody out, but this might have happened in the clubhouse. I mean, he did it, of course, with your meeting last year, but I'm talking about this year specifically. So, yeah, maybe the accountability had slipped this year, and Tony was being a softer, gentler guy, trying to, uh, you know, have himself be more of a, a team guy, more of a player guy. And then I've, from all the reports that you've said, Vinny, that all these guys loved him. And they loved him to a point where you see things going wrong with the club and you thought you would hear some whispers like, hey, Tony's fucking up. And you would usually hear that, you know, when a, a manager's lost the clubhouse. I don't think I've ever really heard that definitively that these players didn't like Tony La Russa. So he was a player's manager. And I think maybe in some of that accountability was lost where the players didn't really get, you know, censured or punished or whatever word you want to use for messing up, for coming short of expectations. So I don't know if uh, Miguel's talking about that because if he's speaking about it, he obviously saw it. 
and there was a lack of accountability on that team. I don't know if he's just talking about Tony or he's talking about organizational wide because I could say that. Me and you have both said that, and I think that accountability is a big-time thing with this team. I mean, the general manager, the baseball player ops, this is a mess that they have, too. They should have some accountability. We know that they're pretty much going to be coming back with Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn, but accountability should be on their plate, too. Well, it seemed like a weird kind of dynamic because Tony always referred to it as the family, and, and the, the clubhouse is the family. He did it in 2021. He did it in 2022. And when the Your Mean stuff happened in Minnesota, um, he said that there would be spankings for the family, and right, that, that the family has to hand out that discipline. So maybe that family unit broke down a little bit. I'm, I, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe that's what we could be thinking is that the family unit broke down and they weren't keeping each other as, as accountable as they were in 2020 and 2021. I think, I don't know, Vinny can speak to it more than I can. So I that's just my outside uh, view of what happened this year in 2020. Because 2021, with the Yerming thing, I didn't disagree with it, but at least there was something. Like, Tony's an old school. This is what we do in the old school. You do not hit 3-0, especially when I give you the take sign. Do not do that. And, you know, if you do, there's going to be punishments. You're going to be sitting down. Minnesota Twins are going to hit you, and I'm going to say, cool. I didn't agree with any of that, but at least you saw that he was setting the standard from what he expected of his team. So this year I didn't see that much of that stuff. I would would say there's a a few things to that. I mean, I I think that your speculation – you know, is based on the fact that, yeah, you didn't see anything from Tony in that regard this year. Uh, I didn't see anything in from Tony in regard to that this year. The one thing that I will, that I do remember is after uh, the Johnny Cueto fire comments, Mm -hmm. Tony's reaction was we need to keep that in house. And so we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe, you know, Tony's mad that Tony was, was not happy that that was being said in a public setting doesn't mean that any number of things weren't being said in the private setting. Um, but also, you know, it doesn't mean that they were either. So, uh, you know, we, we can't we can't really talk on that. We can only speculate. Um, well, it seemed like the only thing that changed with Miguel Cairo was they, they needed to hear it from a different voice or a different tone that the same things were being said. That's what they said. Um, I mean, we, again, we got a more of a glimpse at it because of what Miguel told us, or, you know, like he was saying, he went out in that speech and said, uh, uh, right when Tony left and, and called out what he didn't like, things that he had been seeing for a while, but he didn't say because he was giving respect and deference to Tony La Russa, um, things that were boiling over that for him. Um, he said, if you don't want to be here, get out, and if you do, then stay and we'll go. But then, you know, he ran the same lineup out there every day. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, that's not to say that there was any reason for him not to, but... Um, there, you heard people were pleased by hearing that from Miguel, but there the actual results, the actual end game, didn't really seem like yeah. anything uh, changed big time there. Um, I mean, I go back to Ricky Renneria, who was benching guys for not running the first base, who was benching, uh, you know, Avi Garcia when Avi was bat- battling a leg injury, mm-hmm. you know, benched him for not running out to to first base, and he did that many times. Um, that's the kind of thing that people are talking about, maybe. I think in a lot of cases, Tony didn't have a r- r- roster wiggle room to do that on a very regular basis. I think Tony is probably also uh, better at reading these guys than people give him credit for and maybe determined, well, that didn't that didn't work. That's not going to work if I bench, you know, Yaz for for not getting hits like I mean right. like that is that the kind of punitive thing you want I mean yeah there's they're making fielding mistakes they're making base running mistakes that's been a story of the whole season 
but it's been a story with everybody all season long. And, you know, you're going to bench the whole team. Like, we've talked about how thin the depth is at a lot of different positions. And then you throw all the injuries they had on top of it. Who's he benching guys for? You know what I mean? Do you want to see a lot of Adam Hazley out there? Right. Is that the idea? Like Adam uh, Engel, like I think it started like maybe five games or something since the All-Star break. Like it's just... Adam Engel wasn't hitting. Right. I mean... He's and, not catching balls either. Yeah. Same it, thing with Lurie. No, he's not. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's... It's it, it it was a tough situation, I think, but also people are looking for things to pick apart about it. Was Tony Larusa a good fit for this team? I don't know. I mean, if you're asking me that question, listen, when he was hired, wouldn't have been my first choice, right? Um, but I think that a lot of the things that he said in the immediate aftermath of that hiring, and then throughout the first half of last season you know, I think kind of did away with some of those big concerns that I and a lot of other people had. And then this year comes along. And this year, I think people are playing a little bit more scapegoat with him as any fan base would in a year like this. Um, but listen, that's where the that's where the buck stops at the manager's desk. And it's there's no doubt about it. Something on this team was not working. Something on this team was badly broken this year. And if uh, Tony La Russa is the one who pays the price for that, again, that's not why he's reportedly leaving. But if we're talking in the pre-medical right. leave world, uh, then that is maybe not something that shouldn't have been very surprising. Well, and Tom Jankowski is asking, who's your first choice for manager? We'll talk about a little bit of that in a second. But even to talk about that, like, I, I think, you know, it, it shouldn't be Tony La Russa as the only scapegoat. Like, there should be a higher price to pay. I mean, Rick Hahn, two winning seasons in, in his 10 years as, as general manager. He just had the, seventh, the, the highest payroll um, of his tenureship, and he you know, might produce a team with a, a losing record. I mean, like that, that's also the depth, the, the lack of, you know, straining your, your manager like that with moves. I mean, you know, I think of Luis Robert playing when he couldn't actually swing the bat. Like that's, you're hampering your manager in a decision like that. And, you know, obviously the, the roster has expanded from 26 to 28, um, making it a little bit easier. But I, I think that's part of the whole issue. It's not just Tony. It's not just Kenny. It's not just Rick. It's not just the players. Like this, this whole organization um, stinks and, and we have to figure it out. What doesn't stink though, Greenridge Farm is a Chicago <laughs> local meat and cheese company offering you a better all-natural option. They're the makers of all-natural deli meat. You can find them at Jewel's Sausage uh, as well. You can find those at Jewel and their famous meat sticks. The meat sticks are perfect for tailgating, happy hour, and school lunches. Uh, we're going to be having our next Bears tailgate, our next CHGO Bears tailgate on November 6th. We'll probably be grilling up all these famous meat sticks. They come in chicken, black forest beef, and flavors like jalapeno cheddar and spicy chili. If you haven't tried them yet, you don't know what you're missing out on. They're my favorite snack. I like I'm pretty lazy. I just like to throw them in the microwave for about 30 seconds, and boom, I have nice, delicious, fresh meat just to enjoy. It is fantastic, and they are delicious because they're made from recipes, generations in the making, and being all natural, they deliver a fresh and flavorful alternative at snack time. You can always find them in the refrigerated section at Costco, Sam's Club, or in your local Chicago grocery store. And right now, when you order any three meat products at greenrichfarm.com and include a pack of meat sticks in your cart, those meat sticks will be free simply by using the code CHGO at checkout. Again, if you order any three meat products at greenrichfarm.com and include a pack of meat sticks in your cart, those meat sticks will be free simply by using the code CHGO at checkout. Thank you very much, Sarah. Again, CHGO at checkout. Three meat products at greenrichfarm.com. Include a pack of meat sticks, and those meat sticks will be free. A little bit different. Not meat, but AG1. 
I also include this into my diet and I start my day with this. And I've been starting my day with AG1s for over six months now. They've been a very long supporter here at CHGO. I started taking AG1s when we started this company back in March 4th. They were one of our first ever people to give us free samples. I used those free samples and just love the way it gave me more energy when I woke up. And it's very simpler. I just pour a little bit, uh, a scoop uh, of AG1s into my water and I absorb 70 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. It helps me wake up. Um, it, it provides me energy for my day, um, helps my nervous system, my immune system, and again, my energy. And I feel great when I wake up 9.30, take this AG1, Start my day right. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. And Athletic Greens has over 7,000 and two five-star reviews. I put it in my water. Herb puts it in the smoothies. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop of a cup of water every day. That's it. No needs for millions of different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash chgosocks. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash chgosox to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, let's talk about the manager. And I want to go to five reasons why Tony La Russa doesn't fit the White Sox description of an ideal manager. Who? Who, what bozo would have written that? <laughs> Vinny LaRussa. Vinny Duber. Why um, is that my last name? I, I, I've, I've been doing that, that a couple times. Herb. That's Herb, Herbie no, LaRussa. I've, I've been calling you a couple times. Sometimes we go You've out. you calling me that? Well, on accident. Like, oh. we'll go out to uh, Guarantee Rate Field. I'll be like, all right, we'll go out to Guarantee Rate Field to talk to Vinny LaRussa. Oh. And I'm like, oh, that's not his name. Um, just because I'm like, oh, we'll go talk to Vinny about Tony. And then I just combined the names. Uh, and I did it again. Um, but you said on October 28th, Tony LaRussa's name pops up yet again. Wrote a little bit why he doesn't seem to fit the Sox own description of their ideal manager uh, managerial candidate. This October was on October 28th of 2020. This yeah. was on October Literally 28th. one day before he was hired. One wow. day before he was hired. <laughs> um, the description by what Bob timing? The description by Bob Nightingale uh, was quote, it's LaRussa's job to lose. Here are the reasons why Tony LaRussa doesn't fit the White Sox description of an ideal manager. And let's start the first one. Recent experience with a championship organization. So we know last time that he was, obviously with a championship organization, Cardinals have the second most World Series um, in Major League Baseball just behind the Yankees, but still recent. Recent we, managerial experience. Managerial experience. Because yes. yes. he was part of that Red Boston Sox, front office right. when they won the World Series. Yeah. But, but managerial experience, 10 years out. I think that it was very clear that Tony was 10 years out. And we saw that in the second month that he was managing where he really didn't understand the extra runner rules. And I, I think James Fegan who uh, schooled him on, on one of the rules. I don't know if James was trying to school him, but just I mean, more not like ask him, no, a, ask him a question. Like, not disrespectful. Out, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I don't think James meant uh, that to get as heated as it did. Um, but I think, you know, that kind of reared its head kind of early. And I, as somebody who gets offended by old school baseball managering, or managering uh, I, I didn't love the way Tony La Russa kind of attacked uh, managing baseball. And I didn't really enjoy watching Tony La Russa's teams in, in 2021 and 2022, a reason why they're probably looking for recent managerial experience. Did you see that played out negatively that he didn't have recent managerial experience? Oh, yeah. I, I thought that with the hiring of Tony La Russa, they would insulate, then they would have people who are young, uh, vibrant, fresh, knew the rules of baseball that have changed since Tony has left the game. And, you know, Tony had kept up with the game, as Vinny said. He was in the front offices with a lot of teams, the D-backs, the, the Angels, the Red Sox. But 
you know, it's a difference from being in the clubhouse and the dugout than being upstairs. So I thought they would like help him out with the new rules or the changes that have been uh, inputted since implemented since he had left been the last been in the dugout. But you know, I was not too worried about Tony La Russa doing that. My big thing for Tony La Russa was culture and changing the dynamic of what the culture was in the White Sox clubhouse where Tim and uh, Jose were the leaders and they had fun. It's the change of the game team. And I thought Tony's going to come in here and just put, throw water on that, that fire. But for the most part, the players loved him. And I don't think the culture changed. The winning changed this year. But last year, winning was still going on. Liam Hendricks described it to me at one point this year as – Tony's doing all the weird stuff that that sh- uh, weird stuff that he's done throughout his whole career, and this year it's just not working. Yeah, I mean, I remember like like this- I think Tony has this reputation as someone who does a bunch of stuff where if you're watching the game, you go, "What's what's this now? What's oh. this move now?" And for decades, it worked. He was you know managing some of the best teams in, in baseball over the course of his Hall of Fame career, and then he comes back after a, uh, a decade long absence, and you can talk about the changes that have come to the game, whether it's that or just bad luck. The weird stuff that he does uh, that he does when he manages didn't work this time around. And the weird stuff I think that we could kind of line out would be the consistent man uh, the consistent lineup changes. Um, we would just see you know kind of. Sc- a scattering of guys, a rotating. Don't think that's a problem. You don't think that's a problem. Well, I, mean, I think that would be at least well, looking at. Look to uh, the it, other side of town and what Joe Madden did when he was the Cubs manager. They had a different lineup every day. Yeah, but then the, the Cubs ended up the Cubs players ended up complaining about that in seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen. The fact oh, that they after didn't the have, wind stu- after the winds yeah dried up. But also, I think more, you know yeah. those were those were guys. I, I mean. I would just say that even Joe Madden, who recently just got fired because, you know, the analytics department was too in his business mm-hmm. um, as a manager, I would just say that it probably goes away from recent managerial thinking. That, that, that's all I would a say lot of people, I, would be but, his weird stuff. The weird stuff would be the, man, the, the lineup stuff and then the, the intentional walk stuff. I mean, I, I'm just trying to outline the some first, of the weird I think stuff. The, I think the first one, I, I don't remember the second one. I don't think I was working that day. It was in the Cleveland. It was not that. I think the first one – at this point, has been overblown. In the moment, it was very weird. But I think at this, what everybody f- has forgotten or didn't even know in the first place was that the decision was made after first base became open. Yes. And uh, Muncie, who but ended up hitting the big home run, had been awful. I think he was His the first. His numbers were bad. I think there was, like, he's since 2016 or 2014, it's like the fourth time that's happened. And Tony LaRusse has done two of them. So it's just more of Tony kind of being that weird guy and maybe trying to figure out things right. that people aren't right. doing or, you know, like, I mean, he's just done stuff that, you know, no manager has done. I'm just trying to think of some I of the other weird things. I was thinking about the thing that I found the most egregious that Tony did this year in game was the pitching to Byron Buxton with first base open. And then like the subsequent uh, walking of Trey Turner to have a him go to first base on a one, two count. So it wasn't consistent with me. I was like, Yes, I know Luis Arise is on deck, but if I had my choice, I'm choosing to go against Luis Arise with the bases loaded instead of Byron Buxton with uh, guys on second and third. The inconsistency of his thoughts were my problem there. And I think the weird stuff that Tony did worked out in his life, in his career, because he had boppers. And people who did the jobs of hitting the ball over the park, over the fence, 
Last year he had that. With his Cardinals teams he had that. And, of course, with his Oakland teams he had that. So, you know, the weird stuff, it might have been looked weird to other people, you know, batting the pitcher eighth. But those things worked out for him eventually. And he had ingratiated himself to the players. And so they gave great effort because they wanted to win for Tony. And then if he would mess up, like last year, we, there's a couple of things he messed up. The White Sox would overhit or overpitch his, his mistakes. And what we could see, too, is Tony had a, a, a high affirmation for platoon splits and making sure that a lefty was facing a lefty or a righty was facing a righty if he was going to a pitching change or if, you know, it was a right-handed starter that Gavin Sheets was in the lineup and that Leary was in the lineup and Moncada and Grandal so we could have that balanced lineup. I just think that with the implementation of the universal DH, his kind of leverage there with lineup tweaking really didn't mean too much and then also like a big thing of him was like his bullpen usage and bullpen usage has just been limited with the now three batter minimum so I just think that he wasn't you know Tony La Russa was limited on being able to cook right Tony La Russa wasn't able to be Tony La Russa because the game just drastically changed over 10 years which is why they were looking for somebody with recent experience I mean didn't he the innovator of the righty righty lefty lefty thing coming out of the bullpen yeah. Like, he was the guy who first did that, and I'm sure people at the time were like, this guy, come on, man. Why is he using all these fucking people? Come on. Just use your starter. And it worked out for him. His bullpens were awesome. Changing Eck from a starter to a, a Hall of Fame reliever. That's Tony La Russa. So these things, uh, you'll work for, for him, and that's why he's got a plaque in Cooperstown right now. But this year, I think for the most part, the problem with the White Sox and the problem with the results were the White Sox didn't hit the ball over the fence. It. Right. Yeah, and... Yep. You know, obviously that's got to change with managers and, and players as well. I that mean, would have listen. We we talked to all, all all year long how much that would have covered up some of the blemishes blemishes on this team, and certainly managerial moves that do not work out would have been one of those things that was covered up because you give up, you know, or uh, you know, Tony makes a move, it doesn't work, the game tips in the you know over a run or two. You're supposed to have guys that can come up and hit three home runs in an inning and, and erase that. Well, and, and I the think White Sox didn't do that. Too, like, you, you no, not over 20. That's still amazing to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's going to be the first time since 1990. Um, and you just recently had an article, too, where you put together quotes of guys talking about the end of the season and what it meant. And I think Joe Kelly kind of talked about what you were saying, where, like, the home runs weren't coming, or you get a home run and then the bullpen blows it. He said it's one of those things where if you're going to, through a period of time where it's everything's not clicking for one part or unit of the team, uh, sometimes we had two-thirds of the team clicking, whether it be position players and starters or bullpens and starters or position players and bullpens. It just hasn't been three out of three things uh, that we've been looking for. So it just really didn't seem like the team was clicking I in general. And, and you know, we, we saw that even in the 10-7 game where the White Sox take the lead and then the White Sox blow the lead. And then the White Sox weren't able to, uh, to secure that victory and then Cleveland, and then they lost eight straight. Um, let's move on to the next point that you had. Um, the second one was it will more than likely be someone from the outside. And the quote from Rick Hahn was, this is an opportunity for us as an organization. We've been obvious, obviously been somewhat insular in terms of our managerial hirings over the last seven years. This is an opportunity for us to speak to individuals with other organizations that have had success and learn from them and get their sort of outsider objective perspective on our organization. Clearly the White Sox didn't go outside of the organization going uh, with Tony LaRusso, who managed last in 1986. Um, I think this is probably the White Sox fans biggest want in, in a new manager is somebody is from the outside. I'm just hearing Ozzy and AJ constantly. Okay. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I wish I, I wish they Yikes. can get out of that. I mean, I love Ozzy, but I don't think he's the right for this team. Can, I love, I love him in the rules. He's in and AJ's never managed it a second in his life. I'm good. I'm really good on him. And the outside perspective that Rick was talking about, you had in the article 
is exactly what they needed. They need you saw this year when they got outside perspective from their players in Johnny Cueto and Elvis Andres, other players and Liam Hendricks who came from a different organization. Even Dallas Keuchel, you don't like him. He felt that this how they went about their business wasn't the way they went about their business in Houston. Same thing with Kendall Graven, who said that Houston does things different than anybody else in his career, and he wanted that implemented here in uh, Chicago. So, yes, you need some outside influence. We talk about this organization being so insular and so, hey, this is what we do. This is White Sox baseball, and it hasn't worked out. I mean, we've been to the playoffs, what, 11 times in the history of the game and seven under Jerry Reinsdorf in his 40 years of man, uh, being the owner. That's not a lot. It's not this uh, franchise for overall is pretty much a failure. You need somebody from the outside to say, this is how we play winning baseball from Houston, even though you might say they cheated from the Yankees, even though you think they might've cheated from the Mets, you know, somebody else that, you know, that wins on a constant basis. And you're like, I like that. Even if it's the Cardinals, even though I don't like the Cardinal way, you need somebody else that's coming in and saying, Hey, this is how baseball is played. This is how we've won this many pennants, and I know how to get you guys to the next level. Or even just add one thing. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I if memory serves, that quote, that part of that that Rick was talking about, he expressed the idea of just how interviewing people from other organizations would have been so valuable for them. You know what I mean? Not And, and Tony, you know, being basically given the job by Jerry right out the gate as per a lot of reporting from Bob Nightingale and others maybe they didn't even get to have that managed that interview experience with a lot of other with a lot of other people and get a lot of other ideas to even hold, just think about hold on let's go to Bob Nightingale's report today because I think this is a great point that you bring up uh, because I think you're nailing it on the head. The White Sox will now be looking for their fourth manager in eight seasons. White Sox GM Rick Hahn originally wanted to hire A.J. Hinch instead of La Russa, but it would have made no difference. They will soon begin formulating a managerial candidate uh, list of managerial candidates, including everyone from Bruce Bochy, Mike Schilt, Joe Espada to George Lombard. One man who could be a perfect fit is Carlos Beltran. Um, and he goes explains Carlos Beltran being hired by the Mets and then uh, being removed after the 2017 cheating scandal. But what I want to go to is another report from Vinny Duber back on October 29th, according to uh, USA Today's Bob Nightingale, Tony LaRusso was the number one choice to succeed Rick Renteria, and Nightingale added that the White Sox never formally interviewed A.J. Hinch. So on the 29th, they never even talked to A.J. Hinch, somebody who had that outside experience, somebody who had prior managerial experience, somebody who was a World Series champion, and as Bob Nightingale states here, that's the guy Rick wanted, and they never even interviewed him. So I just think that going to that like they wanted to do this interview process the right way and I think they got again hamstrung by being too insular and going back to the well the Tony LaRusso well again and as Vinny was saying it's like data mining you're trying to get information even from the guys that you know are not going to be White Sox managers in the future you're trying to see okay we can use that thank you for that you're not getting the job but get out of here I'm going to write that down and pass it on we're going to be implementing that into our system and just getting different ideas of how outside people think about your organization and maybe changing your organization because of the opinions of these people who you are is respect because you're bringing them in for interviews and you're talking to them and who'd they talk to Tony and just Willie Harris. Was that the only couple um, people they talked no, to? There was the finalists. I think were Tony, Willie Harris. And let me find the other name. Just like, um, it's like, you know, I think it was Bochy was the, yeah. the, the, the second final. You need to cast a wide net. And if, even if you have, and the reason why we got Ozzie Guillen is because Jerry put his two cents in and said, hey, Kenny, maybe since you're interviewing Cito Gaston, I know you want to go with Cito, just give Ozzie a, you know, humor him. Give him an interview and see what you think. 
you need to cast a, lot, a wide net and maybe you'll find another Ozzie Guillen, a guy that leads a team to a World Series. And maybe the person that you thought was the perfect fit before you start interviewing everybody was interviewing terribly and now you don't want to get that guy and now you go see some other people you need to cast a wide net because you know this is still the window and you need to get the right person so when you hire this person White Sox fans will be like okay that guy will not cost us games he might win us a couple games at minimum he'll be a non-factor in the moving forward of the White Sox yeah Bob Nightingale on the 30th said so if so you wonder who would be the White Sox uh, have Turn to if Tony said no, uh, future Hall of Famer Bruce Bochy was next on their wish list. So I think it would have gone Larusa, Bochy, uh, Willie Harris, if, if we're just piecing together reports here. Um, but I do want to go to your point about Ozzie Guillen. I want to go to your point about Ozzie Guillen. The third point, Ozzie Guillen will not be a candidate for the job. Ozzie just stumped on White Sox Talk, um, the pregame show, saying that no one knows the White Sox organization better than Ozzie Guillen, um, that he knows those players. I just... I think that we could write him off. If you're going to bring up Ozzie Guillen to us on the live chat, I'm not reading it. I'm not even, even if it's a super chat, I'm not acknowledging it. Ozzie Guillen got a phone call before they even started the managerial search and said, you are not going to be the manager. He's not going to be the manager. I'd be shocked. More shocked than Tony La Russa being managed, well, manager right, in 2020. Well, I guess the point, right, the point for people who, who, I mean, people are going to want that of their own opinion, but when you're talking about the realistic outcome, what about uh, two years ago, made Ozzy, you know, a, a non-starter that would suddenly open the door for him now. And I, I think that that, I think you're exactly right. The, the, the organization is going to be in the exact same mindset as it was then. Um, I don't think all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, you know what we need now is, 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 is Ozzy, right. Uh, they, they're probably looking for somebody who's, who's more of a long-term fit, I would imagine. The fourth part was, oh, you want to- no, I think Ozzy would be a great manager from some other team. He's got a great legacy here. I know fans want him because of the success he had 2005, 2008, a little less, but it's time. It's like, as with Tony La Russa, Ozzy hasn't managed in a long while. It's like 2012. Yeah. He hasn't managed. It's one year. He's yeah. younger. Yeah. That's one, that's one year more mm-hmm. recent than Tony. Yeah. And so, yes. <laughs> and he, a, a World Series. He knows far, he's played Far longer away. He's Ozzy Guillen. He's funny. And he, what he does in the postgame, I think it's perfect for him. But his, his quotes aren't wrong where he says he knows the players better than everybody else. Doesn't mean that he should be the head boss. Right. And if you're trying to not be insular, I mean, that's just, again, uh, going against insular. Well, and also, uh, he knows them better than everybody. What does that mean? Like, I don't know. Just because he shows up at the park every once in a while? Just because he has the pregame show and, and I guess, watches these guys? Like, I mean, aren't like, there a lot of people who currently work for the team that know the players a lot more he, than he, he does? He said there's nobody in baseball that knows the team better really? than him. Is yep. Miguel Cairo in baseball? No. Is Joe McEwing in baseball? Nope. I'm not saying these guys should be candidates, but like... Daryl Boston, also not in baseball. It's just not true. Yeah, just not true. <laughs> um, but it's Ozzy being Ozzy, baby. Um, and I hope we don't have Ozzy being Ozzy in the White Sox dugout. Um, the fourth man- reason was change the game. The White Sox definitely didn't change the game. And I don't even know if they want to even go with that slogan because I don't know what the White Sox mission is now. Because like, obviously, it was change the game. It was, it was play with all this swag, but... To play with swag, you need to hit home runs. It just kind of feels like you need to rebuild it. You, you know, think that you, don't you need think, to build it up from the the ground up. Could, nope. You don't think that could? You don't think they could turn that switch back on if they started winning again? I think they could. It's all the same guys, right? Yeah, but I'm just talking I, from I an attitude standpoint. Yeah, but yeah, I think it's right. I think it's all about turning that switch on, and I don't know how easy it is to flip that switch because well, it I mean, proved it to be very difficult this right. year. But I'm I mean, just saying, like, I, even, I, the the bottom line is when I look at this roster, I still see a roster that is capable of doing the things that they thought they were going to be able to do this year. But they need to play vastly better. You know what I mean? Obviously, they did not play champion anything close to championship caliber baseball this year. 
the question I keep posing to people is, do you think this collection of players is capable of doing that? No. I, I think Why? I do. Well, think I think so. I think the fact that you had two if they played at the high end of their thing. I mean, you know, obviously the the picture has changed dramatically, but it doesn't mean that it still can't turn out that same way. It shouldn't. They shouldn't just be like, "Oh, we're standing pat." You know what I mean? They should continue to improve the roster as it goes along, of course. But I I don't think you can look at all these players and be like, "Well, they were all awful this year, so they're never going to be good." I mean, you saw the glimpse of the change of the game, the swagger in the New York Yankees series where Tim hits that right. l- late home run where you're like, okay, he's gotten talked about from these people. They're j- chanting Jackie all all day long. Everybody who's the White Sox is behind him. You go out and have a great outing from Michael Kopech, and then Tim hits that home run, pretty much putting the, the uh, cherry on top of that Sunday. It was like, here we go. This is the White Sox team that I remember. This is the White Sox team that was swaggy, led by Tim Anderson. And they can get right back to that. Tim Anderson comes back being him. Same thing with all the rest of the players. We've had, like, very low numbers. I mean, Jose Abreu hit 15 home runs. 15 home runs this year. That I don't think that's a thing. I think if he comes back next year, he's back to his regular 30 and 100. He hit 15 home runs while having a really good year. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's so weird. I mean, it's so weird. Well, I mean, I think what now, at this point, it's been 55 games, and he has one home run in his last 55 that's games. crazy. And that's yeah. not him. Well, and he just he just set a career high in walks. He just got, took a 61st walk, which is a career high. And so. I think he changed his game to accommodate what the team was lacking in that time. He, at the beginning of the year, was doing the regular Jose Abreu things, wasn't having his regular season. You know, April and May kind of starts off slow. He saw the need for getting on base. He changed his game. That's I, why he has the he changed more, the game more <laughs> higher higher on base this year. This game and, and probably sacrifice a little power to get on base a little bit more. So yes, I think the White Sox can get back to change the game. I think that's easy, especially with Vinny says winning cures a lot of ails. Like if they start, if Aloy pay, plays 140 games next year, and Aloy is Aloy, the was the second half guy. You think he's not going to be high momming all day? He's not going to be having fun? That that locker room's not going to be energized? Or if Yoel Moncada's hitting 30 home runs, which is a lot of stuff. Yeah, I don't you don't think, think the happening. You don't think the Bachata's going to be playing? The Reggaeton's going to be playing? You don't think I'm the disaster personnel's going to be rocking? can't get back, but that's a lot of what-ifs. I mean, like, yeah. I, I understand that you're saying, like, Jose Abreu changed his game, but also, what if he's just 36 years old, has played a ton of baseball in his life, and he is just truly running out of that, sta- he's, he's that the, stamina and strength to hit home runs? He's not the guy you should be afraid of the what-if with. It's the other. He's guy. Mr. I don't Consistency. Know. Well, it, but if he's the other, you can like, be. A, you can be. You can be uh, shaking at your boots over Yoan Moncada and Yasmani Grandal, and uh, you know plenty of other guys on this team. Guys like Jose Abreu. I mean, that guy's been doing great work at the plate his entire career. He's not, and that's and that's the yeah, main no argument in in terms of letting of bringing him back. I think is that like, oh, you know what you're getting. I just think it's very rose-colored glasses to be like, oh, Abreu next year, he did this all on purpose. He hit 15 home runs on purpose because he, he, he wanted to get on base more. Like, I don't think he I, did I it on purpose. What we said, I think though, he's cha- walking was on purpose. Walking was on purpose, and I think yeah. he's been more selective, but also like what we've said is this team needs home runs. If, if Jose Abreu was going to do what the team needed, he would be hitting home runs. Um, I just think that, again, he's just trying to get on and help the team in any way that he can. I just think that it's difficult. I don't think he has that same strength to drive balls. I just think that really that we've seen the exit velocity go down like he's just really going for liners smooth sweet swings it's been nice to watch but I just don't know if that power is gonna come back I think it's very I don't know if he's toast (laughs) but I think clearly he's proven to be a capable first baseman was 
willing and deserving of an all-star bid this year as well. Like, I mean, he was fantastic. It's just different than what the White Sox have been used to, that 30 and 100 guy. I don't know if that 30 100 guy is here anymore. Um, we got a little bit more talk to you, but uh, this football season, points bets bring you a better way to bet live on games. That means before this ad's over, you can place a live same-game parlay bet on the next drive to be a touchdown and cash out your live second-half over bet. So whether you're on the move or on the couch, do it live on points bet. The Sunday night game is just about to start. So if you're looking for some action in the Tampa-Kansas City game, head over to PointsBet, download the app today, and sign up with code CHGO to get two risk free bets up to $2,000. And if you or somebody has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBA for crisis counseling and referral services. Um, the final other things for Tony and the, the reasons that you listed were championship aspirations, the long term of this, and the Reinstorf relationship. Um, I don't know if there's too many people out there that would fit under this Jerry rule, that happened with Tony where they would bring him back. So I, I, I'm not too worried about Jerry making a another hire like this. I think that there was one person that he could have done this with, and it was uh, with Tony LaRusso when Rick Hahn brought up the idea of hiring t- Tony. He said initially, I think I was su- surprised, just given that I knew obviously that he was not only retired, but I knew that other clubs had reached out previously and were rebuffed. But then when I thought about the allure of this job, it all makes sense in the world. So um, I, I think there isn't really a white whale out there where there is a manager that could come out of nowhere. I don't think there's a Robin. I think AJ is pretty far-fetched. I think Ozzy's far-fetched. I think Paulie's far-fetched, right? I, I think it will be somebody with managerial experience and hopefully from the outside um, and, and that can bring a long-term view to the White Sox. Um, are there any names that immediately jump out to you that, that you'd want? Joe Espada, who is the bench coach of Houston Astros, I would want him. And usually I would you know, steer clear of people who have been accused of cheating. He was in that, that clubhouse when they were there. Same thing with Carlos Beltran, who also I would love for the White Sox to give an interview for and see what he's all about, see if he has any uh, you know, uh, culpability, a little mea culpa. Hey, guys, I, I did this, did that with both the Red Sox and the uh, Astros. But, you know, I know how to win. I've been a, a almost a Hall of Fame player. I understand these players in the clubhouse. I speak the language literally and figuratively, and I can get the guys to the next level. I just want somebody that is into the game, into the analytics, listening to other people around him, and being the bench boss, like the, the bench CEO. So having a lot of smart people around him and not being intimidated by those smart people on the bench and listening to their ideas. And at the end of the day, the buck stops with him. He has to give the decision for what's going down with the strategies and uh, the lineups and all that stuff, like the pitching changes. But those type of guys who are you know more analytically based, they've seen analytics work for their teams, like the Houston Astros and the Boston Red Sox. If we can get one of those two guys, I'll be very happy. Do you have a person that's catching your interest at all? I mean, I think Carlos Beltran is interesting. I really do. Um, I think he's a guy that would really love that opportunity, be really excited about it. Um, but I think that I think that you're in kind of a, uh, you know, talking out of both sides of your mouth situation if, if, if what I'm about to say, and I'm sure a lot of fans agree, you want somebody who's going to bring new life and new blood and all of that. But also, like, don't you want somebody who knows what they're doing? But also... Does anybody know what they're doing when it comes to managing a baseball team more than Tony La Russa? I mean, like, yeah. the point being that, like, y- you want somebody who knows what they're doing. You want that managerial experience because, hey, look, this is a team. Just do push the right buttons and they're going to go far. That was the idea with Tony. That was the idea was, like, Tony, you know what buttons to push. You've done this a million times. Right. Here's this incredibly talented roster. To take it. You know what I mean? Take it and do it. Well, guess what? That didn't work. If you're talking – if you want to know some, you know – 
if you want somebody who's done this before and knows what they're doing, you know, if you want to go get, and I'm not saying they should, but here are names that are out there, Joe Madden or Joe Girardi or something like that. Those are guys that know what they're doing, but is, is that going to work? Is that just going to be Tony part two? Mm. But Carlos Beltran, okay, that sounds interesting. That sounds like he would be an exciting, exciting hire. Great to see what he would do with, with a lot of energy and stuff like that. But does he know what to do? It's a tough, it's a tough situation, and I don't think, I don't think um, anybody they hire is going to be that slam dunk guy because nobody can fit both of those two things at the same time. Amen. I think the, the issue is organizationally. You need to help the manager. You need to build out the analytics department. We know that they have the smallest analytics department in Major League Baseball. You need to be stop, stop being so insular, whether that be Chris Getz as your farm director, even though he's done a f- fine job. The two guys, Kenny and Rick, have been running this show together since 2012. Like You need to get more insular even with that uh, thought tank. I, I think that Chris Getz coming in has brought some some nice ideas, and we we see Project Birmingham come out of it. Um, I, I just think that you know you you need that ability to help everyone in the organization, help your players by bringing in you know people to help with swing planes and stuff like that. We see this with the Giants. Um, Zahadi over there um, has brought in swing coaches, and you know we've seen the evolution of Pitch Labs and Ethan Katz's um, you know improvement of Jimmy Lambert and Reynaldo Lopez through that. Um, I think that now you need the, the the swing doctor, right? I think they need to really build out this entire organization. There are things that the White Sox need that other MLB teams have that they're just not there yet. Um, I don't think you need a one big flashy hire to go out and get the guy to fix all your problems because your problems are much more than just the manager. It's the players. It's the depth on that team. It's it's the front office. It's the way these players are coached. It's the way that they are you know, brought up from single A to the major leagues. I can see Garrett Crochet, Andrew Vaughn, Nick Madrigal as all like kind of red flags like, oh, what are you guys doing here in the way that you're bringing them up to the major? So I would just say that, you know, Carlos Beltran would be a great hire. But if you're just hiring Carlos Beltran to fix things, that's not going to happen. Just like it didn't happen with Tony La Russa. You know, it, it, anyone in that job wouldn't have been able to succeed. I and I also would like a manager that has done the job before where Beltran and Espada have not done the job. So is there a guy, and I hate to go back to the Padres, but is there a guy that they can poach? Like the Padres poached Bob Melvin from the Oakland Athletics, a guy that is, like, really good at his job that, you know, is just unsatisfied with the job that the team is doing and can be poached from that organization and that guy might have some juice to do what you're talking about where he changes the organization and what he says is like it flows down down to the minor leagues this is what we're going this is the standard we're going to be setting if you want me this is what we're going to be doing moving forward i'll have this type of person this is my guy and as the bench coach i'll have this person as my bench of my pitching coach which i would love ethan Katz to come back but if you're having a new bench boss if that bench boss does not jive with ethan Katz. Sorry, Ethan, you got to bounce. So if you're going to be hiring these guys, you got to give them the power to have his team that he wants, and especially if it's a big-time manager, you got to have that manager fill out that roster. And I remember when they had uh, Todd Steverson, his hitting standard went right down all the way down to the minor leagues. I think Ethan Katz's standard goes right down to the minor leagues. They pitch the way Ethan Katz wants them to pitch, so they're ready when they get up to the major leagues. I know the people down there at AAA do a great job. I mean, hell, Davis Martin's having a great year. But the White Sox, I think the one thing they do well is develop pitchers. I think they need a guy that needs to be a boss, a boss CEO, and then his, his word filters down the, the rest of the roster, and this is how we do White Sox baseball.
I think there's one guy that does stick out, and he was named in that Bob Nightingale article. It's not Carlos Beltran, but it's George Lombard. Um, he was the former first base coach. That's of the who Dodgers. Lombard's named after. Yes, it, he, Lombard, Illinois. Mr. Lombard. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, uh, he was the first base coach for the Dodgers, and then recently the bench coach for the Tigers. Um, he worked under AJ Hinch, who obviously uh, Rick Hahn had some interest in in 2020. If you want to poach somebody, I was looking through the teams. Uh, AJ Hinch, maybe I, I'd be surprised if he was poached from an in-division uh, team. I mean, uh, they, they were like, yes, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, really. That team was uh, – you You think – White Sox fans, you think you're disappointed this year? Detroit, they're not They're not very happy either. Yeah, and, you know, you see Al Avila getting removed, so maybe he would want to leave now that there's not the front office that hired him. New, new GM in there. Um, yeah, right. Maybe he doesn't want that guy. Maybe he wants a different guy, and maybe they can get something from the White Sox of value. Uh, Mark Kotze of Oakland, they're 57-102, though. They haven't really done much under Kotze. Uh, Former White Sox, great. Yeah, yeah, former White Sox, great. Davey Martinez, uh, former World Series manager. They went 55-104. and 104. Um, And then I think the only other name that would be on there is Terry Lavello of uh, the Diamondbacks. But um, Just got extended. Yeah, he's, he's, he's doing a good job out there, so I, I don't think that. I mean, Dave, I, I don't see a poaching thing happening. Davey Martinez sounds like an interesting uh, person. He is a former White Sox, so it fits under the umbrella of former White Sox, and he is a World Series champion, and he's c- currently managing a team, so he, do- he knows baseball right now, and he just has an understaffed team where they keep on trading all their great that team's, that team's about to get sold, too. Yeah, so maybe they'll be listening for a team that wants to have David Martinez because he'll be managing whenever he gets fired or replaced out there at Washington Nationals. I would not be too far away from David Martinez. He wouldn't be my number one guy, but he would be a guy I would uh, listen to or talk to the Nationals about. I'm just not sure where the White Sox are going, and I think we'll get more clarity tomorrow um, on where the White Sox are going and what they'll be looking for. I think this is a good kind of starter, just looking back at what they've said previously. I think George Lombard fits a decent amount of that, though. Um, He's fairly young. He's 47, a former player, um, and has been a coach with the Dodgers from 2016 to 2020, and then with the Tigers from 2020 to present. And uh, we'll leave you with this. This is from Casey Osborne, um, who's a writer for the Dodgers. 15 minutes into a conversation with Dodgers' new first base coach, George Lombard, you might think to yourself that this guy should be doing a beer commercial and telling you to stay thirsty. It's hard to choose what's the most interesting thing about him. Maybe it's the fact that he's the grandson of Harvard Business School's former 41 senior dean and professor of human relations, George Francis Fabian Lombard, or his mother, a white woman named Posey, who is a civil rights activist who marched alongside Martin Luther King. Or maybe it's that he traced his family tree back to a pilgrim who came on, uh, who came to America on the Mayflower. Lombard is so interesting that in 2005, at the time when he was a 29-year-old outfielder in the Red Sox organization, Peter Gammons mentioned him during his Hall of Frame acceptance speech. So, uh, And this is a quote. So I think from John Curtis to Bill Campbell to Jerry Remy, uh, Buckethead Schmidt to Bruce Hurst, Ellis Hurst to George Lombard. I've been lucky to know thousands of people who love this game as much as I do. Um, People talk about him being a very high-energy and player coach. We saw Miguel Cairo bring high-energy be kind of a player's coach, and we saw a little bit of a, a, a response um, from the White Sox. I just think that what we're looking for is completely different than Tony La Russa. I understand managerial experience is important, but also you can give him a bench coach who has been a manager before. Rick Renteria. I mean, like it doesn't have to be the greatest bench coach of all time. It's just about being that CEO and bringing a guy that has great attitude, uh, a former player. He's the first player to ever hit a home run in the MLB China series. Um, I just think that he has a, a nice background. I like the the interesting parts about him, uh, and it seems like he is a very uh, you know a baseball guy. So I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting name that's been named by you know Bob Nightingale. You, you lost you lost me. I stopped paying attention after Buckethead Smith. All right, well that's fair. That's a good point to tune out. Uh, let's end this. 
Justin, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Uh, we will not have a pregame for you, but we will have a postgame. Vinny will be at Guaranteed Rate Field, where we might be hearing from the White Sox brass, whether it be managers, front office. Uh, we'll see. Rickon usually speaks uh, before the series, uh, you know, uh, before homestands of series. So we'll see if Rickon uh, and any other uh, news is made, because it said that Tony will make his announcement tomorrow. So we'll see if Tony Larusa makes his announcement tomorrow, and we will have all that coverage for you on CHGO. Follow Vinny on Twitter at Vinny Duber. He's our CHGO White Sox beat writer. That's Herb Lawrence. You can follow him on twi- Twitter at Ecknerwall23. And I'm Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. We'll five talk time to winner. you tomorrow. Five time. Oh, Sox man winner. Five time. Five time. I'll figure out what I have to do for that. Uh, but we'll talk to you tomorrow. Go White Sox.